This is the Justice Fighter Podcast. Justice Fighter Podcast. With Attorney Gerald Griggs. Well, we have conversations on social justice, civil rights, and political news that affects us all. Let Attorney Griggs put you on game. Only on the Justice Fighter Podcast, y'all. What's going on, guys? It's Attorney Gerald Griggs here on the Justice Fighter Podcast on the Justice Media Network. And happy day after MLK Day. You know, yesterday, a lot of people were celebrating, a lot of people were reflecting on the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, and and that's admirable. I, I salute everyone. But I always have this reoccurring question. The day after Dr. King Day, what are we going to do? You know, some of my mentors always told me, doc, uh, Dr. C.T. Vivian and John Lewis always talked about the fact that we have to continue and complete the dream. And that's what we need to focus on. But I do want to make sure everybody had a restful and relaxing uh, weekend. Of course, yesterday was a day on, not a day off of service. And I want to reflect by listening to the words of Dr. Martin Luther King in his speech, I Have a Dream, uh, that was given in 1963. Here are the words of Dr. King. The Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity 100 years later. The, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize the shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great faults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. 
This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, this sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? 
We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. And some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the 
heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee i sing land where my fathers died land of the pilgrims pride from every mountainside let freedom ring and if america is to be a great nation this must become true and so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of new hampshire let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last.
1963, Dr. King delivered the I Have a Dream speech. It's one of his most famous speeches. And so yesterday, many packed into church services and, and auditoriums and uh, Zoom meetings to talk about the dream. But the question remains the day after Dr. King's holiday, are we still dreaming? Are we pushing towards the solution and seeing the dream in reality? And so I was thinking of that today and when we were going to have this podcast, and I was thinking about all the things that are going on that are happening today that were happening in that speech. The sweltering injustice of police brutality, the attempts to roll back voting rights in the South and around the country to either limit people from being able to vote or saying, what good is your vote? All of these things Dr. King spoke to in that speech and so many other speeches that we have to ask ourselves 50 years later, are we achieving the dream? And uh, that's what I wanted to talk with you guys about today. With so much going on in our country, so much going on in the world, so much happening, we have to continue to seek justice. And so I would be remiss in, in talking about Dr. King if we didn't talk about voting rights. And so um, the president of the United States visited us and he talked about um, his plan uh, to push through voting rights protection. As you know, uh, well over 30 states have pushed laws to reduce access to the ballot. There's an ongoing conversation and debate online about voter integrity versus uh, voter suppression. And of course, with the 60 some odd cases that were um, leveled in courts around the country uh, in the 2000 election, we have seen absolutely no evidence of rampant voter fraud. But what we have seen is a backlash to the massive turnout and the attempts to push back uh, and limit people's access to the ballot. So I always think about that when I was thinking about Dr. King and, and all the things that he stood for and he, he stands for and his, his vision and his dream stood for and, and asking myself, where, where are we going? How are we going to get there? And so it was, it was um, interesting this week, this past week, to hear from the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States as they came to Georgia to, to lay out their plan uh, for voting rights and how they're going to protect voting rights and, you know, echoing the words of, of Dr. King and, and trying to get us past uh, several moderate senators who I think Dr. King has talked at length about moderates and, and how they want to continue the status quo instead of moving us to a more perfect union with liberty and justice for all. But I think that, you know, we have to really, really think about how we're pushing the dream forward how we are making sure that our children are born with more rights than we had, similar to the way Dr. King pushed for more rights and achieved more rights for his children than he had. And so, um, you know, in listening and thinking back of all the cases and all the things that are happening, I wanted you guys to hear the words of the president of the United States as he visited Clark Atlanta University as he spoke on voting rights and hear the words of the president. Hyperbole. This is a fact. Look, this matters to all of us. The goal of the former president and his allies is to disenfranchise anyone 
who votes against them. Simple as that. The facts won't matter. Your vote won't matter. They'll just decide what they want and then do it. That's the kind of power you see in totalitarian states, not in democracies. We must be vigilant. And the world is watching. I know the majority of the world leaders, the good and the bad ones, adversaries and allies alike, they're watching American democracy and seeing whether we can meet this moment. And that's not hyperbole. When I showed up at the G7 with seven other world leaders, there were a total of nine present. Vice President Harris and I have spent our careers doing this work. I said, America's back. And the response was, for how long? For how long? As someone who's worked in foreign policy my whole life, I never thought I would ever hear our allies say something like that. Over the past year, we've directed federal agencies to promote access to voting, led by the Vice President. We've appointed top civil rights advocates to help the U.S. Department of Justice, which has doubled its voting rights enforcement staff. And today, we call on Congress to get done what history will judge. Pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Pass it now to prevent voter suppression. But here in Georgia, there's full access to voting by mail. There are enough drop boxes during enough hours so that you can bring food and water as well to people waiting in line. The Freedom to Vote Act takes on election subversion to protect nonpartisan electors, officials who are doing their job from intimidation and interference. It would get dark money out of politics create fair district maps and ending partisan gerrymandering. Look, it's also time to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I've been having these quiet conversations with members of Congress for the last two months. I'm tired of being quiet. Folks, It'll restore the strength of the Voting Rights Act of 65. The one President Johnson signed after John Lewis was beaten, nearly killed on Bloody Sunday. Only to have the Supreme Court weakened it multiple times over the past decade. Restoring the Voting Rights Act would mean that the Justice Department can stop discriminatory laws before they go into effect. Before they go into effect. Vice President and I have supported voting rights bills since day one of this administration, but each and every time, Senate Republicans have blocked the way. Republicans oppose even debating the issue. You hear me? I've been around the Senate a long time. I was Vice President for eight years. I've never seen a circumstance where not one single Republican has a voice that's ready to speak for justice now. When I was a senator, including when I headed up the Judiciary Committee, 
I helped reauthorize the Voting Act three times. We held hearings, we debated, we voted. Was able to extend the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. In 2006, the Voting Rights Act passed 390 to 33 in the House of Representatives and 98 to 0 in the Senate. <clears throat> With most of 16 current sitting Republicans in this United States Senate, 16 of them voted to extend it. The last year I was chairman, some of my friends sitting down here will tell you, Strom Thurmond voted to extend the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> Strom Thurmond. You can say that again. Wow. You have no idea how damn how darn hard I worked on that. But folks, that was signed into law the last time by President George W. Bush. You know, when we get voting rights extended in 1980, as I said, even Thurman supported. Think about that. The man who led the longest filibuster, one of the longest filibusters in history. The United States Senate, 1957, against the Voting Rights Act. The man who led and sided with all Southern bulls in the United States Senate to perpetuate segregation in this nation. Even Strom Thurmond came to support voting rights. But Republicans today can't and won't. Not a single Republican has displayed the courage to stand up to a defeated president protect America's right to vote, not one. And so it was important to hear from the President of the United States as we have been protesting and demanding action on voting rights ever since the passage of SB 202, which was the very first effort in these United States to respond to uh, the big lie uh, that was promulgated by the former defeated President uh, the 45th president of the United States. And so as we reflect on Dr. King and we reflect on yesterday, King Day, we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do to make sure that voting rights are passed on to the next generation and that we do not take one step backwards? And so I, my hat is off to Until Freedom, who is now having good trouble Tuesday. Uh, yesterday, uh, Martin Luther King III and Yolanda King, his his daughter and his wife, uh, were in Washington marching for voting rights. They were in Arizona uh, lifting their voice against uh, Senator Kristen Sinema, who was one of the obstacles to getting through uh, voting rights uh, legislation through the Senate that passed the House last week. And and I keep thinking back to what Dr. King and what John Lewis and, and what Hosea Williams and, and C.T. Vivian and so many others fought for such such a long time ago that this generation have to continue that fight. And, and so that fight is going to be peaceful and nonviolent, but it's going to be resolute that we have to do the work of our ancestors to earn the respect of our descendants. And so for all of those who, who praised Dr. King yesterday with their lips, let's do the work of Dr. King with our feet, with our donations to organizations that are doing the work, voting rights groups around the country, with our support of activists who are putting their bodies on the line, with support of media that is elevating the truth, because we have a lot of misinformation going on in media and social media, that we have to be clear what this is about. You know, many of the talking points are out there. 
that this is just simply about having more uh, voter IDs and who wouldn't agree to having voter IDs? Well, many of these states already have voter ID laws. But what these encroachments on the right to vote are, are limiting the amount of early voting, limiting or banning the use of Dropbox uh, mailing, limiting or ending absent, no excuse absentee voting, which is vote by mail, uh, limiting and taking over local elections boards for partisan reasons. Why should a local election board be partisan? That should be nonpartisan. We shouldn't have any party affiliation. It should, be, should just be about setting the time and place and the manner upon which we will vote and making sure it's fair and free. Those are just the, those are just the, the small parts of many of these laws that are drawing these things back. You know, in Hancock County and, and over um, in Lincolnton, um, they already are taking over local election boards in Georgia. So when we have this conversation with our friends across the aisle, let's talk about it with facts. The facts are clear. In Georgia, this was the most secure election of our lifetime. Almost 6 million Georgians voted, and they voted what they wanted to see, a change in Georgia and a change in the Senate. And so in the next election, in the midterms, people will have an opportunity to vote their conscience and vote whichever elected officials they want in. But we don't need people making up voter fraud allegations that are not based in fact. Because, you know, the one place where you can determine fact or fiction is a courtroom with finders of facts, the jury, the judge, and a decision. And the decisions have been overwhelming that there's absolutely no evidence of widespread voter fraud. So there's no need to change the rules midstream to support a narrative that is not true. So, you know, on Justice Media, uh, the Justifier podcast, I'm going to bring you this information in real time. You know, I was I was happy to hear the words that came out of the president's mouth. Uh, I was happy to hear the words that came out of the vice president's mouth. It took a lot of courage uh, for them to say uh, many of the things they said, comparing the people that are obstructing voting rights to the people of the past who obstructed voting rights. And they took a lot of heat. They're taking a lot of backlash for it. But when you're on the right side of history, sometimes in the moment, you're going to take a lot of backlash. But ultimately, history will be the judge. And history will also be the judge of what we did in this moment. You know, we stood outside for 30 days fighting SB 202. And then we went to Washington multiple times. Many individuals have been arrested fighting for voting rights and continuing to fight for voting rights. I brought many of them on this platform and I will bring many more. Their names need to be remembered because they are the true warriors on the front line. And so as we reflect on King Day and as we reflect on the legends of the past that stood up and said not on their watch, you must ask yourself, are you standing up? saying not on my watch are we going to pass more rights on to our children than the rights we received you know i'm the first person in my family to be born with all of my civil rights i was born in 1978 um the voting rights act and the civil rights act of 1964 and 1965 granted me all of my rights even though my parents who were born in the 40s were not born with all their rights and so when we talk about this journey 
to justice, this journey for civil rights, we're talking about right now. It's not three or 400 years ago. It's not even 70 years ago. It's between 60 to 50 years ago. And there's completely a generation that's still alive that fought for those rights. But we also have to remember there's a generation that's alive that fought to prevent those rights. And that's why we have to have a conversation on critical race theory. Because you have to ask yourself, what is it that they don't want to teach the children? You know, our children are going to know just like we knew because we were taught at home the truth. The truth is that this country has a real issue with its original sin of African chattel slavery, racism, segregation, black codes, redlining, and mass incarceration. Those are facts. And so we need to teach that. But we also need to make sure that people understand we're not stuck in the past. We are trying to make a better future by addressing these issues once and for all. There's one key line in Dr. King's speech um, that he wanted to see freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee to Stone Mountain. Well, freedom can't ring from Stone Mountain still having the carvings of Confederate generals on it. Freedom can't ring from Stone Mountain if we are passing regressive voter suppression laws. Freedom can't ring from Stone Mountain if we are still suffering the indignation of police brutality. Those are facts that are still very relevant today. So my charge to everyone listening is to become a freedom fighter, to get involved. A lot of people made promises during Freedom Summer 2020, whether it's because of George Floyd or Maude Aubrey or Breonna Taylor or Vincent Truitt or so many of the other cases, the ones that preceded them. But it's time for us to get real. It's time for us to not just paint slogans on football fields and basketball courts, but to actually get in the community, roll up our sleeves, register people to vote, make sure people are getting to the polls, make sure we're holding police officers that run afoul of the public's trust accountable, and make sure we move to a more inclusive, more diverse community. That's what Dr. King would ask us. That's what he was talking about. Let's make it happen. So on this edition of the Justice Fighter podcast, I challenge you, what comes next? After MLK Day, what are you doing to push the dream forward? Ask yourself that. Get involved. Make sure that you are moving us forward and not backward. That's the charge. So let's make it happen. Again, I'm Attorney Gerald Griggs. It's the Justice Fighter podcast. You can listen and subscribe to this podcast on all social platforms. Do me a favor. If you want to get involved in the movement for justice, share this podcast. Turn people on to an organization. Get involved. Come to the next protest. Come to the next town hall. Make sure you hold your elected officials accountable. But most importantly, get involved. Take a step towards justice, and justice will be achieved in this generation. I'm Attorney Gerald Griggs, the Justice Fighter podcast on the Justice Media Network, and I will see you on the next pod. This is the Justice Fighter Podcast. Justice Fighter Podcast. With Attorney Gerald Griggs. Attorney G.
Well, we have conversations on social justice, civil rights, and political news that affects us all. Let Attorney Griggs put you on game. Only on the Justice Fighter Podcast, y'all.